Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. It's been a really, really good day. And um, take a deep breath. Revive yourself a little bit. Awesome worship time. Gets us focused on... A lot of songs that we're singing about the grace of God and the, the blood of Jesus and there's, there's ways to be rescued from affliction in this very lost and broken world. And that really fits into what we're going to be talking about this evening in a very huge sort of way, as I think you'll come to see in just a, just a moment. I'd like to do a quick recap of what we looked at this morning. I think most of you were here this morning, but perhaps not all of you. But I don't want to lose emphasis on the original topic, which is co-laboring with the Father in the extraordinary mission that he has called us to. We talked about co-laborship and what it would mean to partner with God. Uh, we looked at a couple of biblical examples of what it would mean to partner with God and co-labor with the Father. We talked about the passage from Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I'll use my little own language here when I say this, that God is looking, was looking for a person from Israel for a man or a person to fill the gap, to build the wall, uh, that he might not destroy the earth. But then the sad reality of what God says at the end, but he did not find that person. Um, just again, a sobering thought about how God uh, uniquely uh, works with people. I encouraged you to think into your background, into your Christian pilgrimage, um, to think back into who God might have used to co-labor with God in your coming to faith in Jesus. In most cases, uh, again, like I shared this morning, we all have somebody in our background who was there, who had a, uh, a, a great, uh, I'm losing wording here, <laughs> I must be getting tired, uh, who had a great deal of impact in our lives and helping us through that process of understanding Jesus and, and what Jesus might mean for you and me. I can think of that particular person in my life. In fact, I can think of a couple of different people that co-labored with God, compassionately loved me, cared for me, and stressed the gospel to me. Uh, part of that were my parents. There was a couple of other individuals in my life who walked with me through that process. We've all come from some place. Like I, said, like I said this morning, God's all about starting new lineages of faith. I'm going to be sharing this evening a couple stories um, in regards to lineages of faith, and I hope that's an understandable statement. Uh, for, for example, this morning we looked at Richard Wormbrandt. We looked at who was in the background of Richard Wormbrandt, the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, uh, who was in his storyline coming to faith in Jesus. Some unnamed people right? Kind of in the background. People we don't hear about a lot, but they had a huge role in obedience to God to help Richard come to faith in Jesus in that line to start a new lineage of faith within Richard and Sabina Wormbrand's family. And then obviously that had far-reaching implications into the broader world. God's all about starting new lineages of faith. And that's what we're going to be talking about this evening. Co-laboring with God, in the little bit of time that we have on earth, because we don't know how short life can be, to do what we can do to have an eternal impact on the souls of people around us in your spheres of influence. 
So I'm going to pray one more time, if that's okay, just to regain some composure and to ask God to speak in the way that he wants to. Um, I am open to God doing what God wants to do. I pray that you are as well. And uh, let's see see where he takes this. So Father, we bow our heads before you. We know that kingdom impact starts right here in each individual life with how, God, you call us out and you give us differing platforms to preach the gospel, to pray that the kingdom of God would come. And I pray that tonight, this evening, as we dissect some other ideas and thoughts around kingdom building and co-laboring, they're just mere words. So, God, apart from your Spirit's movement, that's all they're going to be is mere words. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way, that you would move into our midst and speak to each individual heart in life. Help us to take a breath and hear what you have for us. Amen. Co-laboring with the Father in the extraordinary mission that he has called us to is the general theme this evening. We're going to be shifting gears a little bit, but staying on topic. And we're going to be talking about this uh, maybe interesting phrase that, that I'm giving to this part of it. It's driven by objective understanding your why. Driven by objective understanding your why. Think, think about what we talked about this morning, for example, around the words extraordinary mission. We talked about the fact that being an extraordinary mission, it perhaps is a very unusual mission, a mission that goes beyond what is the norm, the regular, or the customary. Um, again, we can think back into our pilgrimage and, and think of the differing ways perhaps that God spoke into our lives and brought us from one place to the next. And we at you know, one point were walking in this kingdom and then God transferred us into this kingdom, the kingdom of light, kingdom of God, and now we're walking with the Lord. And what I'm going to encourage you to do this evening is to do something probably a little bit wacky and weird, and that's to, to embrace the abnormal, to embrace the unusual, to the embr- embrace the not-so-regular, to embrace the unusual. My desire this evening is to really ask you to step out of your comfort zone um, which is where I feel like sometimes it's the best place we can possibly ever be, which is where God relates to us and connects with us in ways that probably never would have if we hadn't stepped out of our comfort zone. I'm going to ask you first to step out of your comfort zone in your mind and heart, and then there might be other ways of dealing with that and doing that. But along the lines of driven by objective understanding your why, that again falls in line with co-laboring with the Father in the extraordinary mission that he has called us to, think about the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, 19. Super familiar passage, but really dissect in your mind what the mandate of Jesus is in the Great Commission to go therefore and make disciples of the nations. To understand the ethnos around you. To think about ethnicities in and around your midst. This morning I mentioned micro and macro. We're going to be dealing with both this evening when we think about missions on the micro and macro level. It's going to shift a little bit more towards the macro. It's going to shift more into a call to lay some things down 
and to maybe shift your thought around what might missions look like beyond the norm, beyond the norm of life, as relates to the unusual, the not-so-normal way of missions. Like I said this morning, missions is as wide as the open, is, is the ocean. There's a, a million different ways that you can do missions. We're going to look at a couple of different examples of our primary person of learning from as relates to missions, and that would be Jesus, who did it ever so perfectly. Not without struggle, right? But ever so perfectly. And we're going to talk about that struggle and mission as well as we think about our particular cases. I'm going to share also a part of our story, not because our story, our family story, is so overtly important here, but it might lay a little bit of the backdrop because I've had a lot of questions about, hey, what, what exactly do you guys do? So I figured, you know what, I'm just going to share it publicly, get it out there in the open. Uh, some of it was shared this morning at the opening, but I'm going to try to fill in some of the blanks, okay, if I, if I could do that. Some 20-some-odd years ago, uh, I was sitting where you were, here at Rosedale, studying, where I met at that time a good friend, Denise. Now we're married with children. Story goes, right? Um, but sitting where you were, and had grown up with a desire for things of God, but... There was many points in my life where I let that all go wayward, straight into the world, and then came back to the Lord. But sitting where you were here at Rosedale, Missions Week, um, Richard Showalter was actually sharing Missions Week the year that I was here, and left a lasting, deep impact in my life uh, around a call to missions. And... It was, I think, the first time I verbalized an actual yes to God, I am yours. I'm yours. Do with me what you want to. I want to be used. Not abused, used. I want to be used. I want to be used in the greater mission of the kingdom of God. And slowly things started to progress from there. I ended up going to the country of Ecuador, worked as a church planting missionary on a team for about three years in southern Ecuador, came back to the States, got married. Uh, we settled into a role of working with youth out of the local church that I had been part of growing up uh, for about three years, got very itchy feet, uh, very unsettled, and started to think back cross-culturally. My wife and I at the time were talking more about cross-cultural missions and thinking that direction. And with every direction that we went, it felt like doors were slamming shut all over the place. And it was a season of somewhat of frustration of sensing a call to missions, but not understanding the mission. Where do, where do we go? What do we do? But it was also during that period of time that, that God opened my eyes to the migrant labor community in our area of upstate New York, in the Adirondack Mountains region, northern New York. And so as, I, as, I, as we started to connect with some Hispanic migrant laborers, what God impressed on me was really the, the burning question around mission, what work is being done among this population of people, right? The Hispanic migrant laborers in that part of New York for us. And so when I realized that there was no work being done among them, being a somewhat apostolical type thinking person, I said, that's a problem. That's a problem. There's a chasm. There's a vacuum. 
something has to be done. And so we started to work, just kind of naturally went into working with Hispanic migrant laborers with a desire to build a stable church, to plant a church. Because that's what church planters do is they plant stable churches, right? Well, that's not exactly what happened. Um, We started to work with people, uh, reached people with the gospel of Jesus, which we were passionate about. had numbers of different Bible studies happening. Some of those persons coming to faith in Jesus were being baptized. And then there was this trend of people that we were working with and getting excited about leaving. Gone. Getting to know them. Walking with them. Friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Leaving. Transient community. And it was a season of frustration with God in particular. God, why in the world are we doing what we're doing, right? Why, why have you called us to work with people that are forever just leaving? And in that season of frustration, I can remember distinctly being in prayer one morning with God, in, 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 in serious frustration with God, saying, God, it happened again. Someone that we were excited about is leaving. And God, as clear as I'm talking to you right now, said, Nate, look at your hand. I said, I looked at my hand, and what I saw was the palm and the fingers, and it clicked. The fingers represented people leaving, but what were we doing to capitalize on movements of people? And so God shifted my thinking into thinking of not so much the terminology church planting, which we throw around quite frequently. It's not a bad term but reshifting and refocus and relooking at what disciple making and discipleship actually look actually looked like from a biblical perspective what would it mean to capitalize on the transience of people and actually have much further reaching implications than if we're just solely focused on establishing what we want which is a stable church and so in that shift of thinking, it started to get us, in a, in a way, refocusing on what we were doing and capitalizing on people coming to faith in Jesus, and it brought to the uppermost what discipleship should look like and how we could better equip people to actually send them, not just keep them, and trust God in the process that the fire of the gospel, the spirit that they had now received and was living and breathing in them could carry them wherever they went to if we could just capitalize on transience. And so that's what we started to do. Focus and shifted our thoughts around what would it be like to disciple, biblically disciple, and be senders. And I'm not going to go into all the stories, but we saw uh, further, way further reaching implications of that as some of them went back into Mexico, Mexico, Guatemala, uh, El Salvador, Honduras, and other locations, carrying the torch of the gospel back into their communities. And so in the process of that and having, in a, in a sense, in quotations, learned that through that experience, and now there is much more of a stable actually Hispanic church there that's represented in that part of New York. But Lord willing, it's been built on the DNA of sending and equipping and discipling. In the process of that, I had a friend who told me who lived close to the city of Utica and he had had some work done on his house and this gentleman was not a believer, but he just happened to say to me, hey, Nate, I I had Bosnians like carpet in my house. 
and I, it struck me. I didn't know that there were Bosnians in the community semi-close to where we were living. And so I said, Bosnians, I didn't realize there were Bosnians in Utica. And he said, oh, there's, there's thousands of Bosnians in Utica. So I did a quick online search and, and realized that demographically what he was speaking about was true. There were thousands of Bosnians and thousands of other ethnicities, not ethnicities, but people from other ethnicities living in the city of Utica. And it stirred, uh, stirred my heart and I couldn't get over that. And so we made an exploratory trip to the city of Utica. It was about an hour and a half from where we were living and found thousands of people who we really couldn't connect with culturally, uh, in language, and obviously religiously. And left with the same feeling of, this isn't right. What work is being done among them? Many of them Muslim and Buddhist. And so when we left and did some more exploring, what we quickly realized was that very minimal to no work was being done among the populations, uh, in particular the, the, the Buddhist and Muslim populations in the city of Utica, and agreed with God that that was a problem and said something's got to be done. And so we, over a process of time, sensed God saying go. Five years ago, we moved to the city of Utica where our vision is, as was shared this morning, to incarnate Jesus in this diverse community with a lot of different people that we don't know, but to build relationships with them, gain trust to share the gospel with them, to see the church of Jesus raised up on one hand, but number two, and almost of primary focus, Equip those coming to faith from out of those ethnicities to reach back into their community to raise up churches from within their ethnicities. To capitalize on disciple-making and discipleship to where they're carrying the torch back to their particular house of people and community to, Lord willing, raise up and establish churches among those communities. That's our goal. That's our vision. That's our objective. That's what drives us. That's why we do what we do. Driven by objective, understanding your why. In my very male brain, okay, I'm a super compartmentalized person. I see smirks and smiles, okay? I'm a super compartmentalized person. And so the way I think about objective is I think of a box. Yes, this is a tissue box, but a box nonetheless, okay? A box. In my mind, this is the way it works. I get a vision, which I will call my objective. It kind of sits out here for me to the right side of my brain, and it's just a box. We'll call it an empty box for right now. I know what that box is like for me. I know what that box is like for us. On the macro side, I understand what our vision is that God has given us. I understand my and our objective. I know why we do what we do. But I want to, what I want to encourage you this evening to think about, everyone that's sitting here, what is your objective? What is your box? You fill in the blank. What is the overriding vision that God has given you as a Christian who's sitting here this evening, washed by the blood of Jesus? What has he given you in that box? 
that perhaps for you also sits to the right or left side of your brain in your compartmentalized mind. What I've often realized is that a lot of times there's a lot of peripherals that we can get caught up in that keep us from ever getting to and unlocking that box. And what I want to challenge us to this evening is very, actually, it's very simple. And that is to embrace the not so normal. Embrace the, the not so usual. And I want us to get to that place where before God, with all honesty, we can say, God, I'm willing to unlock that box, no matter how outlandish that may sound. Because my feeling is in my experience is that God does grant vision. He grants objective, but he doesn't force us into that mode. He's looking for willingness. If you go back to the Ezekiel chapter 22 passage, where God says again, I'm looking for a man, for a person from among them who will make a wall, who will stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I find no one. My heart's cry, my passion is that God, when God looks down, and it might be this evening or it might be whenever, but when God looks down, he finds willing hearts that say, yes, I'm ready to stack those bricks in that wall. You've given me a vision, you've given me objective, and I'm aiming for it, I'm unlocking the box. God, it's up to you. It's up to you. I'd like to go to a couple passages in light of all this. And, and on account of time, I, I don't know exactly how to cram all this in. I'm going to do the best that I can. Um, we've already looked at the abnormal, right? Because Jesus had to, had to claim it for us. He had, to, he had to mandate us to go and make disciples of the nations because the obvious is we wouldn't naturally do that, okay? It's not the most natural sort of thing or usual or common thing to say, you know what, I'm going to uproot. I'm going to change life for myself or my family or whatever the case may be. And I'm going to translocate from here to there on the macro side of things, right? And, and, and I'm going to make that the norm. That's not normal, folks. It's, it's not normal. It takes the Spirit of the Lord to make that happen. Um, if you go with me to Luke chapter 10, I'll start in Luke 10. And even as I'm sitting up here speaking, I'm thinking about the fact that I might sound angry. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not at all. This, this, this topic gets me, gets me a little bit cranked up a little bit. And if that's the way it sounds, I apologize. Not angry. Um, just praying that God uses this to stir a heart. Um, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is appointing the 70, sending them out two by two into every city and place where he himself is about to go. So basically, Jesus is taking 70 of his disciples and saying, hey, you go out two by two, right? And he gives them specific mandates around that. Go here, don't go there. Take this, don't take that. There's some specifics around what Jesus is asking them to do, and I'm not going not to focus on that part. I'd like to get to verse 2 and 3, where Jesus says to the disciples, to the 70, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And we all know the passage, right? We probably memorized it. We probably pray the Luke uh, 10, 2 
prayer, perhaps. Some of us do, some may not. But I I love Jesus' words because he puts a very clear, crystal clear objective in front of the disciples. And it has to pique their interest. Now, in my day job, I work in agriculture, okay? I work in sales, sell seeds, fertility, etc. okay? In the agriculture marketplace, so I understand crops. I understand corn, I understand soybeans, alfalfa, grasses, etc. That's That's what I do in my day job. So when Jesus says that the harvest is ripe, right? That, that, that says to any person in farming, go get the crop, right? Go get it. Um, I, I don't know a farmer who stands uh, at the doorway of his house and looks at the fields that are ripe for harvest and says to the fields, hey, get yourselves in here, right? He doesn't put a call out from the doorway to say, time to get in, you're ripe. He has to go get the crop. And so Jesus in his in his words, when he talks about the the harvest truly being great, I'm going to see that as as the objective that he's laying out before the disciples, okay? So we can think about that as the objective. And then you go to verse 3, and it flips our world upside down. Go your way, I send you out as lambs among wolves. How many of you have ever heard of a story of a lamb or lambs surviving wolves? Does it happen? Folks, okay. Everybody with me? Does a lamb survive an attack of a wolf? Not even close. Not even close. I think to thoroughly understand this passage, I think we need to actually step back a few verses at the end of of chapter 9. In chapter 9, verses 57 through 62 of the book of Luke, I think to understand this lamb-wolf thinking and analogy, I think we need to understand what 57 through 62 is actually talking about. And again, I'm going to go extremely fast. I pray that it will make sense that it will connect, even though we're going fairly quickly. In chapters 57 through 62, there's three different people that Jesus confronts or has conversations with, and I'm going to, again, go through them quickly. Verse 57, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Seems like a good statement. I hope we can all agree with that. But Jesus says to him in verse 58, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, what's it mean to be a follower? Let's continue on. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Makes sense, right? Father's perhaps dying, perhaps has died. I have a responsibility there first, no problem. Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Whew, sounds tough. Let's keep going. Verse 61, another says to him, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Makes sense, right? I'm willing to go, but I do want to say goodbye to the people that know me well. Hey, makes sense, right? Jesus says to him in verse 62, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus, you're raining on our party, right? 
There's three different costs that I think are very clearly evident in this passage. Did you know that obedience to Jesus always requires something? There's always a cost. Always. Jesus, we'll talk about later, paid the ultimate price and cost. But there's always a cost. What I see in these three incidences of Jesus' conversation with three different people is this. I see a material cost. I see an emotional cost. And I see a relational cost. What Jesus is preparing the disciples for is the fact that there are things to lay down in the process of chasing down the objective that God clearly puts before us in your particular box on the macro level. There are costs, folks. There's material costs, emotional costs, and relational costs. So when it comes to verse 3 of chapter 10, when Jesus has clearly said the harvest is plentiful, right? There's, the harvest is ripe. It's ready to go. Go get it. And he gives them the warning, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. If they've already counted the cost, if they've been willing to lay it down because of the greater objective of seeing the kingdom of God come, that statement in verse 3 absolutely means nothing. It means something, but it minimizes the cost of the fact that we live in a fallen, broken world and that there's war to be had and made and that there are wolves that will chase down the flock, the lambs. Absolutely, there's a cost. Now, some of us, maybe all of us, know the rest of that story, right? They go out, and by the time they're done, they're coming back and reporting to Jesus what has transpired that we know of. They're all living, they're all breathing, right? They're not all scratched up and bruised up. But what they've seen is the kingdom of God come in a very unique sort of way. And Jesus gets excited about it. There's a couple of different ways Jesus, is, Jesus expresses that excitement. But one of the things that he says is, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then later on he says, rejoicing in the spirit. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise, the prudent, and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Now my question to you is this question. Did, did the disciples get it? Did, did they get it? By the time it was all said and done, they'd stuck their necks out. They went on mission, understood the greater objective, understood and counted the cost. So we're going, we're all in, we're in on this. There's times in the future after this, sometimes they weren't in, but here they were. And they went and they saw the kingdom of God come in a very unique sort of way. I think they got it. I think they got it. They understood the objective. They understood why they were doing what they were doing, and they saw the kingdom of God come. How exciting, folks. How exciting. Let's carry on a little bit further. Think about the why. The why do you do what you do? Why are you here? Why are you sitting right here now? Why were you born where you were born? Why are you part of the family that you're part of? Why are you part of the community that you're part of? What's the greater, larger, bigger picture to all that? 
our, our why, that, that particular box that for you is maybe sitting right here, our why is driven by a blank box, a desired change. It might be a vacuum or some particular type of need to be filled. You, f- you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. Look at, look at Jesus. Jesus understood the objective and Jesus therefore understood his why. Think about just a smattering of verses that I'm going to read. Think about the life of Jesus, understanding his objective and therefore understanding his why. Number one is the objective. Luke, Luke 19.10, I'll read through these quickly. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Were, were you lost? Are you sitting here right now, saved by the blood of Jesus, by the grace of Jesus? That's why Jesus came. Luke 9.56, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. John 10.10b, in the same passage that we were looking, I'm sorry, not the same passage. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Did Jesus understand his objective? Absolutely, absolutely. So why then did he do what he did? Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for, ma- for many. I'm going to turn real quick to Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 11. A very familiar passage um, that probably, again, some of us could say by, by heart. But think about what it's saying. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why did Jesus, why did he love? Why did he compassionately and passionately touch people's lives? Why did he heal the sick? Why did he serve? Because he understood the greater objective, which was to seek and save that which was lost. I think if you understand that and can get your mind wrapped around that concept of objective and why I do what I do, I think it will forever change the way you view mission. It's a rather simplistic look at what mission is, and I think that's okay. If your objective is to serve the Lord to whatever capacity he's put in that box, start to think about why you do what you do answer those questions, wrestle with it, embrace it, embrace the unusual, embrace the not so normal. It's okay to not be normal. We live in a world that's not very normal, folks. It's okay to be one of the masses, but to not be normal for the sake of Jesus is okay. It's not a problem, not a problem. Look at what Jesus did, look at his life, look at his ministry, think about the fact that he had an objective, think about why he did what he did. 
And I want to make this point clear, and I kind of made this point clear earlier with the, the, the lamb and wolf analogy that Jesus was using. The understanding of our why, and as you get into this, you're going to realize this, the understanding of your why does not eliminate difficulty and conflict, but the understanding of your why keeps the objective, which would be the vision or the mission, at the forefront. What I'm simply trying to say is, and what I said this morning was this, co-laboring with the Father is not the easiest way out. Never has been, probably never will be. In fact, it might create more obstacles in your life and become a slightly more difficult, but I can say from experience, short experience, it's also the place where I've been the most at peace. Not because it's easy, It's not been easy. There's tons of frustrations in the process. But it's also the place of perfect peace. Embrace the unusual. Unlock the box. Admit to God that you are willing to unlock the box. And then stay away from the peripherals that will always invade that space and vie for your time. Focus headlong on what the objective is that God gave you. One more illustration. If you can think about Jesus in the final week of Jesus' life, Passion Week, right? He knew his time was close. And he knew he had to get to Jerusalem. In Luke 9.51, it says, Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In the NIV, it says Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And I had to honestly look up the word resolutely just to be sure that I understood what it meant. And it was kind of astounding. It, it means that it was, he was determined and unwavered by anything. So think, think, think about that. If you think about objectives, think about what Jesus was actually doing. Jesus was moving towards the cross, which was the greatest and highest objective. He knew that it was coming. He resolutely set his face to get to Jerusalem and nothing in hell or on earth was going to stop him from attaining getting to the cross. Was the cross easy? Absolutely not. Friends, look at the model of Jesus' life. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament, I think it's in the book of Ezekiel, I should have checked this out, but it says he set his face like a flint. He resolutely set out to get to Jerusalem and nothing was going to stand in the way of him reaching that objective. He knew what he needed to do and he knew why he needed to do it the whole way he was thinking about you and he was thinking about me. A phenomenal mission that ultimately obviously led to his death, but also resurrection that gives us life. So as we think about objective, and as we think about our why, only you know what perhaps is in that box off to the right side of your brain. Maybe it's something that you've been struggling with. Maybe you've struggled to come to grips or understand it. Missions, as I said earlier, is as wide as the ocean. 
I'm speaking on more of a macro calling out level this evening. There'll be more sessions to come where I won't necessarily speak this way. But I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you that if God has given you an objective as something that's just sitting here, it's just here, and you've not talked about it and you've tried not to think about it, you know it's there, you kind of just is stirring in your heart, I want to encourage you this evening to find somebody and talk about it. Start to think about unlocking that box. Don't get caught up in peripherals. Don't let time just go by. Folks, we, we live in Utica, as I've shared earlier. We know the lostness and deadness around us every single day that we're around the city. In fact, one of these sessions coming up, we're going to look at a biblical passage that talks about rubbing shoulders with the dryness and deadness around us and what that ought to do to us. We know what that feels like. There is a, a, a world that's hurting around us every single day. And the, real, the reality of life and death and heaven and hell grips my heart in a way that I wish gripped it even more, to be honest with you, so that I could come to more of an understanding of how to feel for the lost the way that Jesus felt for the lost so that I would have a better understanding of also how to unlock that box and how to engage with people around death, around their thoughts around death, around their feelings of lostness, just to try to identify with them a little bit more closely as to how they feel, what they're going through. It's easy to become gospel Christian saturated and to never think outside of that box to what might they be struggling with, what might they be thinking about. So this evening, my challenge that I'm laying out before you is simply this. Embrace the unusual. Think about the objective that God might have placed in your life. Move towards unlocking that box. It was a decision that I made some 20 some odd years ago, sitting here, actually it was in another building, being challenged around being a disciple maker on mission for Jesus, and I'm challenging you with the same challenge. Co-labor with the Father. Fill the gap. Build the wall. When God looks down, may he see every single one of us available, willing, on mission, doing our part in reaching a lot of lostness around us for the kingdom of God in the short, and I mean very short time that we have on earth. I don't even know how to ask you to respond to this. I have no idea. I'm just going to let it ride. <laughs> just going to let it hang out there. But I want to encourage you, simply, find somebody, talk about it. Whatever's there, whatever's gnawing on you, it's okay to dream. It's okay to dream. You'll never get beyond God's dreams, how big of things that God places out there. Talk about it. Talk about it. Crack that lid just a little bit. Start to open up that door. Think about just unlocking that thing and saying, God, I'm, I'm ready to. I'm willing to. Give me the green light. Give me the green light. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your movement. God, I pray that you would stir every heart to understand just a little bit more of how 
intricately valuable they are to you and to your kingdom. You've equipped us with everything necessary to be on mission for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for resolutely setting your face towards Jerusalem, for moving towards the cross, for dying for our sins, for resurrecting, shedding your blood and resurrecting to give us life and meaning and purpose. And this evening, we stand on that rock and we say, Jesus, use us. Use us. Stir us. Help us to understand just a little bit more how lostness feels, what it looks like. Help us to be able to identify with people who are lost and hurting. And help us to be a listening ear, a word of kindness or compassion, a word of wisdom, a touch of love to those people. Thank you, Father. We worship you and we praise you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.